About 10 years ago, we decided to do something fun outside during Advent. We had this huge tree on the west end of our property and we spent a lot of money and we put Christmas lights on it. And for six or seven years on our Advent kickoff, we would light that as our Christmas tree. I mean, it was massive. And the reason that we decided to do that was because we wanted to be a light in a dark place. And in December around here, it's pretty dark. So we went literal, big tree, big lights, light in a dark place. But it was also to remind all of our people, every time we left a service during Advent, that we were carrying the light of the world with us out into our neighborhoods. And then the lights died and it was way too expensive to put them back up again. So we got a 12 foot tree, put it on the plaza and that served nicely. And then last year during COVID, I'm sure this was Matt Knapp's idea because all the good ideas come from Matt. Uh, we decided to put a word up there. So Matt made a frame and filled it all in and put lights around it and it said hope. And for our Advent kickoff that night, people had an opportunity to write what would give them hope on that. And throughout Advent, people could come to church or drive by and you just saw this big sign that said hope. And it was a wonderful reminder of the hope that we had in Jesus during a crazy COVID year. Well, this year hasn't panned out the way that we thought it would. I mean, it's, it's better than it was, but it's still kind of crazy. So we decided, again, it was a good idea, so it's probably Matt's, that Matt would put up joy. And so he made them, lined them with lights, and he put up the word joy. And it looked like this. Now, some of you will remember about 10 or 12 days ago, we had a big windstorm. And the day after the windstorm, Matt sent me a picture of what the joy sign looked like now. And then he sent me this text. And I sent him back this text. And then Brendan got in and he replied with this text. And indeed, Brendan, it will preach. Joy is literally a mess this year. It's there, but it's battered and a little worse for the wear. So then Matt went out and he fixed it. He's actually fixed it twice and joy is back to its former glory. And there's kind of a message there too. Joy can get battered, but it lives on, and joy can be restored. One of the reasons that joy can take a battering and keep on going is because joy is fundamentally different from happiness. Happiness is circumstantial. Joy isn't tied to circumstances. Some things make me happy. Chocolate makes me happy. Baptisms make me happy. Catching a steelhead on the swing, that makes me happy. Going running on a forest trail, that makes me happy. But it's not always appropriate to be happy. And in fact, if you're happy all the time, you might need to have your meds adjusted. It's not appropriate to be happy at a funeral. It's not appropriate to be happy when your friend's house gets robbed but it's always appropriate to have joy. You can have joy at a funeral because you have a faith that reminds you that there is life beyond death. 
You can be joyful despite having your house robbed or your friend's house robbed because you realize that while all your stuff had meaning, it's just stuff. And you recognize that God provided it and God will see you through. Joy isn't circumstantial. Joy can be affected by circumstances, but it isn't tied to them in the same way that happiness is. Joy is something that wells up within us because it's anchored to a different reality. Happiness is rooted in the reality of a broken, often messy world where there can be great kindness, but there can also be great cruelty, where it rains on the just and on the unjust, where sometimes the breaks go your way and sometimes the breaks don't go your way. Happiness is rooted in circumstance, in the reality of a broken world. I remember reading a number of years ago, there was an advice column where apparently one of the brightest people in the world would answer your questions. And I was reading this column one day, and somebody sent in the question, would you want to live forever? Hold on to that. Because just the other day I was talking to somebody here at church. And they said to me, what's the deal? People in the Old Testament, in the Pentateuch, first five books of the Bible, live for like 777 years. They're like, how come we don't live that long anymore? And the question was, you know, more of a joke because they felt like they were getting old. And I said, well, it's an interesting question, but before I figure out whether I want to live for 777 years, I need a little bit more information. Like, for instance, if you're going to live to be 777, are you relatively young, maybe middle-aged until you're 700, and then the last 77 years you're old, or... Do you get old when you're 77 and the last 700 years you're old? Because it makes a big difference. Back to my story. So when they asked the question, would you want to live forever? The writer said, no. Because eventually the pain would overwhelm anything good. There would be so much loss over time that the pain would make it not worth living. They wouldn't want to let live forever. And that's the reality that we live in. The pain can come when we least expect it. Ultimately, everything we love and hold dear passes away. Living forever might be more of a curse than a blessing. Over time, pain would exceed joy. And deep within us, even as I read that answer, or even as I thought about living for 700 years being old, there's this free-floating sense that that's not right. That kind of pain overwhelming joy, that seems upside down. Seems like joy should overwhelm pain. And I think that that's a little bit of something built into us that reminds us of the different reality that is there. The, the reality that joy lives in. Joy lives in this other reality because joy knows that something better exists. And that something better is what Christmas shows us. Christmas shows us a different reality, and that's the reality that joy is anchored in. So listen to these very familiar words from Luke chapter 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David, 
He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. Joy was a bit battered at that first Christmas, too. When the baby is finally born, it has been a long 10 months since the angel first came and showed up and told Mary about the promise. Mary and Joseph didn't get any angelic updates. They just had to hang in there and trust. And that's pretty extraordinary because if we plan something with people, we have to confirm and reconfirm and then check in again. Otherwise, people will miss it and go, oh, were we still doing that? 10 months, no angelic updates. And then there's this thing about a census. What was was the census about? Well, the census wasn't just about counting people, um, not just to count heads. It was about taxes. They were counting heads so they knew how many people they could tax. And nobody likes taxes. And if you hear there's going to be a census, so they're going to look at taxes again, nobody expects that looking at the tax base will result in lower taxes. And I've been doing some reading about Rome at this time, and they were living on a shoestring back then in the imperial capital. So what do you do when you're barely making ends meet? You tax the people more heavily. Long time without hearing from the angels. A census. They know that their taxes are going to go up. Not a fun thing. But in order to be counted, they have to go back to their ancestral home. They had to travel to Bethlehem. And I cannot illustrate to you how hard this really was. It's 90 miles, give or take, from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And we read this story, you know, like they got into their SUV and popped the seat heaters on, had the dual controls, and, you know, Mary's pregnant, so she's got her air conditioning on to 68, and Joseph is freezing over there. They've got snacks and big gulps, and they're ready to go. It is nothing like that. They had 90 miles of walking or riding on a donkey. Probably took them six to seven days. And have you, have you ever even spent an hour in a saddle? Man, there is chafing and soreness in places you didn't even know you could chafe. And then there's extreme elevation changes. They go from 1,000 feet above sea level to 1,200 feet below sea level to 2,000 feet above sea level. They go through a desert. The area at the time was very, very heavily forested. And in the forest, they had wild boars and lions in addition to people who wanted to rob you. They had to camp the entire time. They had to bring all of their food with them. And oh, by the way, Mary was pregnant the whole time. So there was not much to be joyful about. And when they finally get where they're going, there's no room for them to stay. And it's in the midst of all that mess. It's in the midst of all that inconvenience that Jesus comes, wrapped in cloth, and laid in a manger. And then I love this particular translation because it says there was no guest room available for them. So they went where they could. And there's an important point there. Jesus goes where he can. Is there a manger available? Okay, I'll go there. Is there a heart available? Okay, I'll go there. Doesn't matter who, doesn't matter where. If there's room, that's where Jesus goes. And I love that about Christmas. God shows that he'll go where we are, even if it's messy. And God's presence with us in the mess is the source of joy. God's presence with us 
changes reality. So as you look back over 2021, has there been any mess in your life this year? Has your sense of joy taken a beating? How would your attitude change? How would your response change? How would your anxiety change if you knew that through all of it, God was with you? I want to make a confession. And I know that this will probably change some of your opinions about me. I know that it will be very polarizing. Some of you will stick with me just because of the relationship that we have. But I feel like I need to tell you that this year, for the first time in my life, I've been watching Hallmark Christmas movies. Um, and they're not as bad as I thought. I was amazed to find out, okay, this is the audience response part of the sermon. I want you to just yell out your guess. How many brand new movies for 2021, so just this year, not from the vault, how many brand new Christmas movies for 2021 do you think Hallmark produced? Yeah, both channels. Go ahead, yell it out. Higher. Higher. You ready for this? 41. That's just frightening to me, especially since they all have the same plot. And I've watched, okay, you know, this is a little embarrassing. I probably have watched six now. So I know how the plot goes. And what I've noticed in all of the movies is that Christmas is absolutely central to everything. They talk about Christmas a lot. There's a lot about traditions. There's a lot about food. There's a lot about carols and family and decorations and leaving New York City to go back to your small town to find your true love. But there's nothing spiritually deep there. In fact, there's no meaning other than, isn't it great to celebrate Christmas? Now, almost every one of the Christmas movies that I have seen has a tree lighting in the town square. We do that too, so I'm not mocking that. But one in particular, and I wish I could remember what the song was, but you know, the mayor stands up in front of the town, in front of the Christmas tree, you know, there's 12 people out there, and they do the countdown, and then this choir begins to sing. And they began to sing. I wish I could remember which carol it was. It, it wasn't like Ding Dong Merrily and High or, um, you know, Deck the Halls. I mean, it was one of the big, major, Christocentric Christmas carols. The choir begins to sing that tune. But instead of using the words, they just sing la. La, 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 la. And I'm like, that kind of says it all. That's what Hallmark is offering us. That's what Christmas is like for people in our culture. It's about family. It's about gift giving. It's about hot cocoa. It's about artfully arranged snow on the sidewalk making wreaths. But when it comes to deep meaning, all they've got is la, 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 la. That's the best that they had. Christmas is just about form because there's nothing beneath it. And I wanted to go, no. There is so much more to Christmas than that. They're talking about an untransformed reality. They're talking about something that doesn't really have any power to change anybody's lives. But there's so much more to Christmas than that. So as believers, we know this year that joy took a beating. We know that things are crazy. We know that everything is messy. But because of Christmas... The real Christmas, Jesus coming 
in a manger to be the savior of the world, not the la-la Christmas, we know that there is a different reality. With Christmas, what we're really doing is putting a stake in the ground and saying there are all sorts of things that are going wrong, but we're going to cling to a different reality. We're going to live in a different reality, a reality that isn't filled with hate and bitterness and pain, but it's filled with the joy that we have found because God has come among us. And God has come among us in power. I mean, there, there's something wonderful about sharing something with somebody. There's something wonderful, wonderful about having somebody with you. Uh, the other day I got up and I looked out the window and there's just glorious sunrise. And I wanted to go, Megan, come look at the sunrise just so I could share it with her. But she was still asleep and she would have killed me and that would have ruined the sunrise. But you know what I'm getting at here. It's just good to have somebody with you. It's good that God has come to be with us. That's transformational in and of itself. But it's even better when the person who is with you can help your situation, can transform your situation. And that's where the real power of Christmas is, is that it's God who is that baby. The baby grows up to be the savior. That's what the big promise is. That's what the angels sing about. The sign is the baby in the manger. The power of God is that he's come to set us free. So this year, do everything that means Christmas to you. Enjoy the carols, enjoy the candles, enjoy your family. Stuff yourself silly as frequently as you can. Some of you have or will take the opportunity to serve uh, the community or to serve other people in your neighborhood, that's great. Some of you are gonna have neighbors over or take care of people who don't have family nearby. What a great thing to do. Do everything that Christmas means to you. But in the midst of it, for just one moment, I hope you'll pause just long enough to remember that Christmas is about more than the presents and the wreaths and the food and the tree. It's about God come to be with us in the middle of the mess. And as you think about the impact on your life, may that bring you joy.